So many years ago, many decades ago, in the summer of 1979, where were you in the summer of 79? Well, I, myself, had just graduated from college and uh, was embarking on a new life. I packed up all my stuff. I was living in Buffalo, New York, and uh, drove to Chicago uh, where I didn't know uh, anyone but one person, a fellow by the name of Roy Schwartz. It's the only person I knew who led me to the Messiah. And uh, I was going to go to school and uh, learn all about uh, bringing the good news to our people, working for then called, you probably never even heard of this, right? The American Board, can I even say the words? I don't, it's kind of embarrassing. American Board of Missions to the Jews. How's that for a catchy name, Right? <laughs> Uh, which is now called Chosen People Ministries, by the way. Uh, and uh, uh, so when I arrived at the destination on Kedzie Avenue, there was one person who was there at the time. And lo and behold, it was Michael Schiffman. And uh, he was, you were kind of on your way out uh, from them, and I was kind of coming on, on my way in. And we got to know each other a little bit, uh, uh, and uh, have known each other all of these uh, years. And uh, our paths have crossed many times, and what a wonderful, uh, uh, you know, what, what a wonderful thing it is that here at Beth Messiah, uh, Michael was the uh, congregational leader from uh, 1985 to 1990. And uh, right when I was in them, our paths crossed again in a very, uh, very important way, uh, in that uh, one day I received a phone call from someone, a friend, telling me that Michael just announced that he was leaving uh, Beth Messiah and going to New York. Uh, and it was uh, right at that point, in a, like a 14-day window, that I was deciding I was living in Los Angeles at the time. Uh, and was, had felt that it was time for Janet and I and our kids to move back uh, east uh, and uh, the rest is history. And I ended up here, and Michael ended up in New York, and that led to a ministry that Michael has uh, uh, really uh, embraced, and it really is his niche uh, in our Messianic Jewish movement. Uh, Michael uh, founded and is the director of Hevra, uh, a ministry of uh, aiding and supporting Eastern European Jews. And I just wanted to read uh, just a couple of little things here before he comes. Okay. So in the back, uh, I hope that you will take uh, all the materials that he has, but one of them is like a little, uh, uh, a little information piece here. It says, Helping the Jewish poor in Eastern Europe uh, and in Israel. So it, it says here, Hevra had its beginnings with the end of the former Soviet Union. Their economy had crashed, their money was worthless, and the people most in need and helped the least were elderly Jews. Many at that time were Holocaust survivors and uh, starving. Our work began in Poland, where young Jews and Christians sought to help the Jews in need. With very little funds, they started by cleaning people's homes, bringing whatever financial aid they could, supplied by friends uh, in the West. In 1993, this was now uh, two years after you left, or three years after you left here, right? So really, uh, we can see where Michael's life uh, has gone since his time here at Beth Messiah really was, is with uh, Hevra. In 1993, uh, Rabbi Dr. Michael Schiffman was invited to come to bring spiritual nurture and support. He started coming every other month to teach, encourage, and pray for our people in need. Those who didn't want spiritual encouragement still received food and assistance as we're able to provide. And then it says here, in 1998, Rabbi Schiffman was asked to start Hevra USA to support his own ministry in the work, as well as raise funds to support soup kitchens and other needs as they uh, presented themselves. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the scriptures are very clear uh, that we uh, have a responsibility to uh, care uh, for people and to care for our, our own uh, uh, Jewish people. You know, I won't take uh, the time, but if you read in uh, the seventh chapter of Zechariah, 
or certainly in the book of James, what does it mean to, uh, to know the Lord, to, uh, to walk with the Lord? Uh, it means not only to communicate uh, uh, verbally uh, the good news, but it means to take care uh, of our people, you know? So uh, it says here, uh, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, Thus has the Lord of hosts said, Dispense true justice and practice kindness and compassion, each to his brother, and do not oppress the widow or the orphan or the stranger or the poor, and do not devise evil in your heart against one another. And then James uh, says here, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so uh, Michael has devoted really his life uh, to aiding and supporting and bringing the good news to our people in a place where very few people pay attention uh, in uh, Eastern Europe. So let's pray, and then Michael will come. Uh, Lord uh, God, thank you uh, uh, for uh, Rabbi Dr. Michael Schiffman. Lord, uh, we pray, God, uh, this morning for him. Uh, that you would give him clarity of thought and communicate uh, uh, what's important from his heart and from your word to us. And may we have open hearts to receive it and respond well. And we pray in Messiah's name, Rabbi Dr. Michael Schiff. I usually sit down when I speak because, uh, well, you don't need to know why, but uh, I'll tell you anyway, I'm on meds that make you kind of, you know, lose balance and I could fall over, which would be entertaining, but uh, I don't want you thinking I'm having a religious experience during my message. Actually, it should be a religious experience, shouldn't it? But not that kind. Anyway, um, let me begin by telling you, first of all, I, you know, I always wonder when I come visit here, which has been like three times in the past 30 years, uh, if it makes Howard nervous. Because, not because I'm coming back, uh, you know, he's pretty, pretty good, and you know, he has nothing to worry about. But you know, the, I, I wonder, I wonder if he wonders if this is going to be one of those crossroads moments, or if I'm just visiting. <laughs> it's not a crossroad. This is just a visit. Um, I felt that when I left here, New York was really just the first step towards me working in Eastern Europe. It was a stepping stone. People don't usually think of New York as a stepping stone. Uh, it's usually something you trip over. But uh, in my case, it was a stepping stone. This was what God intended for me. If I were to ask you, do you know what it means to be redeemed? What would you tell me? You might, don't, don't answer. Uh, you might tell me that, you know, give me some theological uh, definition how many of you are thinking of a theological definition? Yeah, because you're taught when you're a believer that we've been redeemed, right? Redeemed by what? The blood of the Lamb. And it's almost like a rhetorical thing. We've just been redeemed. We know we're redeemed. Do you feel redeemed? What does it mean to be redeemed? I've been taught the theology of redemption, and it's pretty good. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you it's not so. Uh, it's so. But I want to tell you a bit of a story. Uh, some of you who've known me, there aren't too many of you here who go back to the days when I was here. Um, the worst thing about coming back here is looking on the wall of rabbis. I was so young, and I usually feel I look pretty good for my age until I see that picture. <laughs> but it's all right, better to have it there than not there. Um, those of you who've known me a long time know that there was a time when I was extremely heavy. Uh, and my doctor told me uh, I had to lose a significant amount of weight or I was going to be dead in five years. And uh, I told my doctor, you know, what am I supposed to do? And he sa I said, you know, diets really don't work for me. I've tried every diet pill there is, uh, and I've which only work while you're taking them. You know that, right? Afterwards, forget it. And then, you know, there, there were every diet in the book, you try it, there's a grapefruit diet, the eggplant diet, the, you know, those don't work either. And I said to my doctor, what am I supposed to do? He said, well, there's a surgery that'll work for you. Um, I went to my insurance company and said, uh, 
I need this surgery. My doctor said, if I don't get it, I'm going to die. And the insurance company said, you're going to die because we're not paying. So um, I didn't have the money for it. It was too expensive. Uh, so I mean, really, Hevra does, is not a multi-million dollar ministry that had the money to pay for its director's you know, surgery. Uh, so I started telling my friends, if you want to see me, you better do it in the next few years because I'm going to be dead. And uh, a few of them gave, sent me diet tips, like that was going to do something. Really, gee, I wish I thought of it. Um, and then a friend of mine, one of my closest friends, you, you may have heard of him, his name is Elliot, uh, my best friend on the planet. Um, he said to me, I'm going to raise the money for you. And I said, go right ahead, it's not going to happen. He wrote letters to my friends, and I know my friends. And, you know, my friends, at least, are somewhat fond of me. I figured they, they were good for a check for 100 bucks. But after that, no. And we needed thousands of dollars. And so uh, I said, good luck. Uh, three months later, Elliot called me and said, we raised all the money. And, and to me, it was an astronomical amount of money. It was like $15,000, which is something I didn't have. And uh, he said, go have your surgery. So I go to the doctor, a Chinese Christian named Moses. And, and I told him how the money was, uh, was raised for this. And he had tears in his eyes. I don't know because he got a customer, but uh, he, uh, he was moved. And so I had the surgery, and over 18 months, I lost 150 pounds. And the important thing is, that was nine years ago. This year will be 10 years since I had the surgery, and it stayed off. You know, I may not be the thinnest guy on the planet, but I'm, I'm not in danger. My health became really good after that. The important thing is not that I lost weight. The important thing is that people redeemed my life. You know how I figured this out? I, I told Elliot, I want to know who gave what. This isn't like, you know, giving for a, you know, a ministry thing. It was giving for my life. I want to know who my friends were. And I was very surprised that the people, I have some friends who are pretty wealthy, and they didn't give that much. But I have friends who are not wealthy, and they gave a lot. They gave sacrificially. And it made me realize that people sacrificed that I would live. And the important thing about that is that it made me feel that I need to live my life in a way that honors their sacrifice. You get the connection? As a redeemed people, not redeemed from weight, but redeemed from our sins, we need to live our lives in a way that honors Yeshua's sacrifice. And my life has been lived, or I tried to live, in a way that honors Yeshua's sacrifice for me. That started, talk about the 70s, in 1973. I was a new believer, and I was at this meeting, and uh, there were a lot of missionaries there, and they were sharing about what they were doing. And I thought they were like the goofiest people on the planet until I met them, and then I thought they were really cool. And I remember being there, and I told God, I will go wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do. That call led me, uh, after my seminary, uh, to Arizona, where I planted a congregation, and then to Columbus, where I served for five years. I did not want to leave here. I liked it here. Uh, and, but I felt God wanted me to go to New York. I think God sent me to New York to shake me loose a little bit. And then he sent me to Ukraine. And that was interesting because the last place I wanted to be was Ukraine. Uh, I had a friend who, when I was in Columbus, uh, I went on my first trip to Israel. Elliot said, you need to go. Uh, I met this guy. He was a Jewish believer who was an Assemblies of God missionary to Malawi, Africa. Figure out the connections. And uh, we became very good friends. And he said he was interested in being in the Messianic movement. And I said, that's great, but Malawi really isn't the place to begin. And he said, well, I'm supposed to be coming home on furlough. He came home on furlough, and he said, I'm going to be involved in the Messianic movement. And then they moved him to Krakow, Poland. And he, and he went. And then he, sends, he calls me, and he says, Michael, I want you to come to Poland. 
And I said, I don't want to go to Poland. He said, why not? I said, my family was from Poland. I'm sure they had a very good reason for leaving. <laughs> and, he, and he said, well, just come for a visit. And I said, it's the world's biggest Jewish cemetery. I don't, Auschwitz is there. I don't want to be there. And he said, well, it's not really Poland. You'll come to Poland, and then we'll go to the former Soviet Union. And I said, even worse. This was right after communism ended. And he said, why is it worse? I said, I see on TV, they wait four hours in line for toilet paper. And he said, Michael, get your own toilet paper and come. <laughs> I said, why? I said, there is nothing you can say that will make me want to come. He said, 150 Jewish people prayed to accept Yeshua, and the only ones to teach them are the Russian Orthodox priests, and they told them if they light Shabbat candles, they're going to hell. And I, I said, okay. <laughs> and my congregation in New York raised the money and sent me to Poland. And we, we went, and I was, I was touched by what I saw, and I wanted to go back. And they invited me to go back. And they said, listen, we want to train messianic leaders because we have leaders but no they have no training at all they just kind of were raised up as this this great movement of russian jews coming to yeshua was happening would you come and teach them i said okay so we planned in, in the spring a two-week seminar i had i brought other guys over and i had we had 35 students and uh, this was not yet my call it's what became my call I had 35 students, and then I had a brilliant idea. Two weeks in between we had a Shabbat, we could have a Torah service, a Shabbat service, because most of these guys had never seen a Shabbat service. So uh, a couple of days after that, we were into the first week, the head of our work said, uh, Michael, we need you, uh, we, we have a problem. And I said, what's the problem? They said, well, Jewish people from the villages heard you're having a Shabbat service and they want to come. And I'm like, oh, sure, it happens to us in America all the time, right? Come on, this never happens. They said, no, they're gonna, they want to come and it's a problem. I said, why would it be a problem? He said, it could be 5,000 people. And I was like, oh, what are we going to do? He said, I took care of it. Um, we used to take, we had vans and buses that we would bring people who were immigrating to Israel you know, to the boats, you heard of the Exodus boat? We had buses that brought people, because when you sold everything you had to go to Israel, you didn't have a car anymore. You couldn't just park it and leave it there. Uh, and most of them didn't have cars anyway. So we were transporting them to the boats. So we had like a fleet of buses at the time. And uh, they said, we're gonna get, go to each village and get 20 people per village and bring them to the Messianic service. And I said, well, that's great. I said, by the way, to one of those villages, might there be a, you know, a synagogue where there's an old Torah we could borrow? And he says, oh yeah, we'll talk to the rabbi, we'll borrow the Torah. And I said, what makes you think a rabbi is going to loan us a Torah? And he said, loan it to us. I said, why? He said, when the government gave the synagogue back its building, it needed a new roof. We provided the roof. And then I saw something I would never see in my life. At the begin, that Shabbat morning, I walked into the building. The, the reading room was smaller than this room. We had 35 Messianic students doing Messianic music. They were off key, but I'll tell you, it was like an electrical feeling in there. We had about 100 Jewish people from the villages all around. The place was packed. And then the rabbi came in carrying the Torah, and he assisted me in leading the Torah, in leading the, you know, leading the service. You know, I never thought I would see that. And before the service started, this is through an interpreter. He says, you know, I called the chief rabbi of Ukraine and asked him if it's permissible to loan a Torah to Messianic Jews. I said, what did he say? He said, it's forbidden. He said, then I hung up the phone and said, who cares what he thinks? <laughs> and then, we, so we had this service. It went pretty well. And then afterwards, they, you have to realize at that time in Ukraine, large quantities of meat were hard to come by. And they arranged to get 40 chickens, and they were cooking a chicken dinner so nobody should leave hungry, which was a very menschy thing to do, because these are not people who ate regularly. Nobody should go home hungry. And then they said, you know, they're not finished with the chickens, stall them. And this is what began my, uh, my connection to this work. 
I did the American thing. Stand up and tell us where you're from. And you know, uh, it was terrible because every person that stood up, the story was worse than the one before it. And they were. They told me about the Holocaust and how many thousands of Jewish people were in these villages, and there were only like a hundred left, and it, and they need money, and it was very sad. And finally, some elderly man stood up and said, why are we dwelling on our sorrows when we should be giving gratitude to the people who've been helping us? And the people rose up, and they were giving uh, the hugs and kisses to all the humanitarian workers who brought food to them. What moved me was, in the back of the room, was the guy who organized the entire work. He was responsible for all of it, and nobody mentioned his name. He was happy and content to see the people who worked for him get all the credit, all the glory, if you will, and no one knew him. And something touched me, and I said, Lord, please make a place for me in this work. A couple of months later, they asked me to work with them permanently. And at first, I was doing teaching because that was the greatest need, to teach and train Messianic leaders. And after a while, I felt more of a desire to help with the humanitarian. I still do teaching, but I saw Jewish people who were hungry. They went to bed hungry. They didn't have anything to eat. I went to this small village called Alexandrovka. There was an old Jewish woman on a ladder trying to fix a grass roof because winter was coming. And if it leaked, the heat would go out and she'd die. Uh, I asked, is there somebody who could fix this roof? And they said, yeah, what would it cost? $100. For $100, we saved an old lady's life. We went to another old lady. She, we invited her to a soup kitchen we were starting. Her, uh, she said, I can't go because my granddaughter lives with me. But she's in, she's in school then. Well, why can't you go? She has the shoes. They had to share shoes with her granddaughter. So we got her shoes, and we took her to the soup kitchen. At earlier years, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, the majority of the people we were helping were Holocaust survivors. And I have to be honest with you. I don't have to be, but I'm going to be honest with you. It would be much easier to raise money saying, this is going for Holocaust survivors. It's an easy sell. You know what I mean? It's very easy to say, help people who were in the Holocaust. Are we still helping people in the Holocaust? Yes. But there are less and less of them. And they've gotten more help in recent years. People used to ask me, what are you going to do when there are no more Holocaust survivors? I have job protection from Yeshua. He said, the poor you always have with you. I wish it weren't so, but we, the poor we do always have with us. So even though, yes, we're helping Holocaust survivors, we're helping the Jewish poor, elderly Jews, as well as Jewish single mothers with children. There are Jewish women who have children. Some of them are very sick. Um, the important thing is they're Jewish people in need. There are Jewish people that go to sleep at night who do not know if they will eat the next day. And the question is, does it bother you? It should bother us. Because according to the passage Howard read earlier, we've received from Jewish people. We've received a great deal of blessing. And I'm telling you, Jewish people need our help. And I want to, the thing that is exciting to me, I could say, yeah, that what I shared with you about 25 years ago, about that exciting time, it's not the only exciting thing. Every trip is exciting. Uh, let me tell you what's happening right now. Um, for the past number of years, you know, it's like everywhere. The Jewish community doesn't want to have a lot to do with the Messianic Jews. Um, do you know that we're working in concert with Jewish charities in Ukraine to help feed Jewish people? You know why they want to work with us? Two reasons. First of all, we're doing this for 25 years. They know our reputation, and they know we... we we try to help. Secondly, Bernie Madoff, remember Bernie? Most of the money he uh, swindled came from Jewish charities. So they cannot afford to operate soup kitchens. And so more and more they've been partnering with us. Where else in the world are Jewish agencies partnering with Messianics openly? When I go and visit there, they say, these are our sponsors. They're appreciative. This 
is a unique, God-given opportunity. Why are they working with us? Because we're the only ones there. We have an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. If we could go to those, um, you know, I take a lot of pictures with my um, phone when I'm over there. I just want you to see some of what we're, what I'm talking about. Let's go to the next one, or the first one. This guy is a Holocaust survivor. He's in the city of Zaporosha, and uh, we help, uh, he does not come to a soup kitchen, but he receives food parcels, which is, you know, the big uh, plastic bags you get when you go to the supermarket? We, we fill them up. Uh, so he, he's received from us, you know, plenty of times. His name is uh, Sasha, um, and he attends my, my Bible study when we're there as well. We'll go to the next one. This is on the road. Uh, we usually, to go to where we go, to where we operate these soup kitchens, I fly from New York to Kiev. From Kiev, we fly to another place called Zaporosha. After Zaporosha, we take a three-hour drive on a potholed road, not pothole like Ohio potholes, potholes from shelling because there's a war in that, that region between Russia and Ukraine. The majority of the people, the Jewish people that we're helping are refugees uh, from eastern Ukraine because of the war going on. I don't know, maybe you saw on the news a few weeks ago, it's rarely covered, but a few weeks ago they talked about um, there was a blockade, Russia blockaded some of the cities. One of those cities was Berdansk. We were on the way there when this picture was taken. The guy in the front is Eric, who is my on-the-ground guy. We've been working together for 25 years, and um, we work very well together. Next one. Uh, this couple, are uh, that's a food parcel. You could see what they look like. Uh, he he comes he's comes sometimes to our soup kitchens. Uh, he can barely walk, so uh, we need to be able to uh, bring food to some people. You know, kind of like Meals on Wheels, like a delivery service. The problem is we don't have enough money to feed the people that we're feeding now. Uh, and let me tell you a bit about it. And go to the next one. Uh, this is a Jewish woman and her son. He has severe scoliosis. He is in a complete body uh, brace. Um, when I was there, she like lifted up his shirt. And she, it's, it's, a, it's a heavy plastic brace uh, from his legs all the way up to his neck. Um, and he doesn't have them. They don't have the money for surgery, and they are surviving on uh, on the food that we're providing. When I visit these people in their homes. I usually ask them, you know, they say the rabbi is here. And I always, you know, ask, can I pray for you? Some people are a little bitter, you know, with, with their circumstances, and they don't want prayer. I say, okay, I won't pray with you. I can still pray for them. But uh, I want to help them, not just because they're a believer or not. A lot of the people we're helping are not believers. But it's important that we help people. That's how people become believers. That's how I became a believer, by the way. You know, nobody shared the magic verse with me. You know, someone shows you Isaiah 53. Oh, I never saw. You know, no. When they showed that to me, you know what I said? So what? I didn't care. I became a believer because I saw Yeshua in the lives of people. And that's what this ministry is about. Yes, we're feeding people. But the idea is we're not trying to be the mouth of God. We're trying to be the hands of God. Because when people can experience the love of God by feeding them, by helping them. They can see Yeshua in us, and it can change their lives. I became a believer because when I saw Yeshua in others, I found him to be irresistible. You know, people are pretty resistible, but God is irresistible. And we want, God, we want people to see God in us, in how we treat them. Uh, I prayed for them, and she, she was crying. This, you can barely see it. That is an, next one. That's an elderly lady. She has a walker in front of her. We brought some food for her. She really needs to have food delivered for her. The problem is it costs double, because you gotta pay somebody to deliver the food. Uh, see, I, you can't operate ministry by volunteer. Uh, not this kind of ministry, because volunteers do things when they have free time. We need to feed people every day. Go to the next one. This is at one of our soup kitchens. 
we don't like rent out places and then have to hire cooks and all that. Uh, it's more cost effective uh, to, uh, we, we make a deal. Like, like here, they don't have, they have, they call them canteens. Like they did in the 40s, the stage door canteen, whatever. Um, I'm not that old. But um, what they call canteens, we would call cafeterias. So we will make a deal with a cafeteria and we'll tell them this is what we want served for this many people and they're just the people that we're inviting. And uh, we can give someone a wholesome meal inexpensively. So for example, we can feed someone five days a week for a whole month and they will get kasha, which is like a buckwheat kind of a thing. They'll get chicken uh, or beef uh, or fish or, or a mixture of those and they'll get soup, they'll get bread it's a pretty good meal. That's one meal. Uh, $33 a month is all it costs us. What's $33 a month to us? One meal out? One entree? It depends where you go. Uh, it's twice at McDonald's, but, uh, or once at uh, Max and Irma's. Uh, but it's uh, for very little, we can do a lot. For everyone we feed, it may not seem like a lot to you, but to them, it changes their life. And how many opportunities do we get to make a life and death difference for someone? Let's go to the next one. This, you know, we can go through a little quicker. This is some, it's more of our soup kitchen. It's bread on the table. Next one, please. Uh, this was afterwards. See the little lady there? Uh, it was her birthday. So we, you know, got to, people love when you're taking pictures. Everyone wants to jump in and go to the next one. Now this is at this is the office of the Jewish uh, federations. There, uh, the woman is the head of the Jewish federation, and the guy is the head of a different Jewish agency. They share an office, so we're cooperating with the main Jewish organizations. Uh, I, I mean, really, in your in my whole life, I never thought we would have such opportunities. It's I can't overstate what a, a special thing this is. Next one. This is uh, in a small city. It's on, this is on the border of where the fighting is. This is Militopol. Uh, I have some videos which I'm not showing, which have some of these older women uh, doing Israeli dance. And they're pretty cool. They can kick up their heels, but um, we don't have time for it. But, that's, but they do it right there. Next one. This lady is 84 years old. Uh, she uh, lives by herself in this, it's like a hut. Uh, she has a wood stove for heat, and uh, we're trying to get food to her on a regular basis. Next one, that's where that's her supply of, of uh, wood that the community provided for her. Uh, but that's her kitchen, and you know you, you see what 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 kind of living it is. Next one, that's the part of the outside of the house. Next one, this is a Jewish woman. She's a widow, um, and she is. Uh, She's crippled, and she needs help. And so we've been providing food for her. She's also looking for a husband, by the way, if any of you are. Uh, okay, next one. This is another soup kitchen. This is a soup kitchen we operate in Militopol. And uh, there, there are like several more tables. I didn't have that widescreen thing. So if you want to go to the next one, yeah. So that one lady there, was, she was waving. I've got a video of her waving, but we won't do that either. Next one, that's the kasha. We put peaches on top. Next one. They, 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 they all gathered around for a picture. I said, smile and make my wife jealous. <laughs> so, but uh, it's a blessing to be with these people. You know, they're just simple people. They are in need of our help. And people say, well, I've had people ask me, well, do you share the gospel with people? Francis of Assisi said, share the gospel at all times. And if you have to, use words. So what we do is, first of all, we feed people. Because if somebody is hungry, they're not going to listen to your great speeches. They're not going to listen to your profound words. They're hungry, and all they can think about is, we haven't eaten in three days. So we feed them. And then if people ask, you'd be surprised when you're helping people. After a while, they're curious. Why are you doing this? You know, cause Just because people are hungry, they're not stupid. If you try to ram the gospel down their throat... You know, they know if you're trying to buy their soul for a piece of bread. But they'll ask you. They say, what, why, what is it that you believe? 
And we say, you know, we're starting a Bible study. Maybe you'd like to come. Does this work? Over the 25 years, we planted about 40 different groups of people who came to Yeshua because we preached the gospel with our hands and also and often because we didn't push. We'll go to the next one. This is Petya Peter Wiebe. Uh, he leads a Messianic congregation. In Russian, it's pronounced Petya. Uh, they're Russian Jews uh, living in Germany, and he, um, he operates a Messianic congregation where I've ministered. Uh, but on my way back from Ukraine, he, um, I had to stay overnight in uh, Frankfurt, and instead of putting the cost of that on Hebra, uh, he got me a hotel room, and he took me to a German pizzeria. Um, don't, don't waste time. No. <laughs> they don't do pizza like, like they do other things which are better, but pizza isn't their thing. Uh, but uh, he's a good brother, and he uh, helped us out. I don't know, if, is that the end of what I've got on that? That's the end. Uh, that, that's just to give you some idea. I, I can show you other pictures and other things, but the important thing to keep in mind is, uh, first of all, we can't do this without your help. You know, if you've noticed, Kevra isn't one of those things you, you see on TV. We don't do TV because it costs a lot of money. Most of our money actually goes to what we're telling you it's going for, to feed people. Secondly, most of our money comes from the Messianic community. We, we don't have large corporations, although we're, not, we're, we're willing to receive from large corporations, but they don't give us. Our, this is an outreach of the Messianic Jewish community, and we depend upon our people, the Messianic Jewish community, to support our work because it's a unique work, and we're doing things that I believe glorify God. We become the hands of God to our people because we want people to know him and we want people to know that he, he loves them. Most Jewish people don't think that he loves them and telling them that doesn't do a whole lot because talk in any language is cheap or if in Yiddish it's bilik, it's cheap. Actions speak louder than words and with those actions we can save the lives of Jewish people. I was at a soup kitchen in Drahovich, and uh, there was this old lady named Rita. Rita was an old-time communist. It's kind of weird. I know communists. You know, um, I'm a child of the 50s. You know, uh, she was like an old-time communist, and she she called me over and she grabbed my arm and she said, "This is through a translator, of course." She said, "I want to express gratitude." And I said, "For what?" And she said, "For the soup kitchen." It's our practice when you're feeding or helping poor people, you never want to embarrass them or take away their personal dignity. To, to have to receive food at a soup kitchen is humiliating. You know, they're grateful that we're helping them. But a lot of these people are educated as best they could have been. They're, they're not, you know, they're not people who are street people. You know, they had careers and then communism ended and their economy crashed and they were too old to work, or their circumstances don't permit them to work, and they have no way of support. And so they're living on the lowest form of welfare, 35 to $50 a month, which does not feed, because they need to pay for the roof over their heads, and if they can afford it, heat in the winter. It's a humiliation. And so we never want to make them feel obligated to us. So I said, you know, you don't have to thank me. It's my job. And she grabbed my arm tighter. She said, you don't understand. Before communism ended, I was the chief physician for this region, and I'm living on $35 a month. If it weren't for this soup kitchen, I would be dead. And if it weren't for this soup kitchen, all the people you see here would be dead. And I just wanted you to know, we are grateful for your help. What do you say to someone like grabbed her hand, and I said, Rita, a woman like you should never have been in this circumstance, and I am honored to be able to help you. Then she gave me a hug. She wanted to kiss me on the lips. I said, we don't do that in America. So, <laughs> but but she, gave me, she gave me a hug, and you know, it made me realize how important it is to help people and to help these people. 
the situation in Ukraine has changed over the years. I was, I used to, we had soup kitchens and uh, messianic uh, congregations in Crimea until Russia came in and uh, now Russia doesn't want to allow Western humanitarian workers to come in because it, it, it's like admitting they need help. And they go, we don't need help from the West. So I, I went to Ukraine, to, I went to Crimea four times uh, in like an 18 month period uh, before Russia took it over. And now they're fighting in Ukraine, in Eastern Ukraine. We'd been working in Eastern Ukraine for years and uh, now we're working with the refugees. I'm not sure about time, probably not, but I had, uh, I, sa I sat with refugees and they told me their stories about Russian soldiers knocking on their doors, throwing them out of their apartments and then blowing up their apartment buildings. And they wound up on the beach in, in uh, Berdansk where, where we met them. And uh, the situations are desperate. I can't overestimate that. But like I said, they're not all Holocaust survivors, but they're Jewish people in need. When I was younger and I first learned about the Holocaust, I used to think if I lived at that time, I don't know what I would have done, but I would have tried to do something. Have you ever had that thought? Well, we don't live in that time. I don't live in that time. And if you lived in that time, you're very old right now. It's a long time ago. We don't live in those times, but we live in these times. And just now, there are Jewish people who need our help. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm here to tell you, I need your help. Because without your help, we can't do these things. Not enough of them. Uh, so I guess I'm offering you an opportunity to do something that will make a difference in Jewish people's lives. I feel the most honored person on the planet to be able to do this. And I want to share it with you. And I, I hope that you'll consider helping us. Thank you. Michael, thank you so much, you know, for that. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to read uh, something uh, uh, from the scriptures, uh, something that Yeshua said, you know, that uh, really, uh, I think, is very applicable here. You know, one of the things that we uh, talk a lot about here is when we talk about having faith, right, that, that it is, that there's no faith without faithfulness, right? No faith without faithfulness, right? So Yeshua said this, he said, uh, but when the Son of Man uh, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will uh, say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father inherit the kingdom uh, prepared for you from the foundation uh, of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, I, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it, uh, you did it to me. Then, of course, he goes on to talk about the people on his left, right? Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me, and naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger and naked or sick, or in prison and didn't take care of you? After all, I taught Sunday school. After all, I showed up at every service. After all... Uh, you know, I experienced uh, great gifts uh, from you uh, and manifestations of your presence in my life. Well, what are you talking about, right? Then he will answer them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the least uh, of these, you did not do it to me. 
these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Isn't that interesting? Uh, that, uh, you know, we talk about, Michael is right, and we could point to lots of passages where we are the hands and the feet of Yeshua, but Yeshua is sort of like, uh, turns that on its head, and he says, I'm all those people. I'm all those people that are hungry and sick and dying, and you're ignoring me. Isn't that, you let me die, right? And so, uh, here, he's saying, you need to take care of these people, because these people are me, right? Now, you don't want to take that part, that apart theologically in a thousand different ways, but just take it at face value for what it's saying, right? That we have, a, from the lips of Yeshua himself, we have an obligation. And certainly, you know, when he talks about these brothers of mine, certainly in the world that he lived, his brothers were the, are the Jewish people, right? Certainly, uh, all people are his brothers, and that is very true, every a single human being, no doubt. And there are lots of needs all over the world. And, uh, and we need to be concerned about all of them. But here today, in our context, right here in this passage, and what Michael is saying, uh, we have a responsibility uh, to the Jewish people that are forgotten. When we think about Jewish people, we're thinking about Jews around here, or Israel, you know, or Western Europe, or maybe South America, and so on. But here are forgotten Jewish people. And it's very important what Michael is saying, that there are organizations that despise us. I think of one in particular. But anyway, uh, that, uh, that is on television and is always showing pictures of, of poor people and, and help. Uh, but here, uh, this is a ministry uh, representing uh, the Messianic Jewish community. Uh, you know, and they are us, and the people are us. And so uh, no greater uh, uh, word than we can say than what Yeshua is saying here to, to uh, support Hevra. Not just to support Hevra, but to serve the Lord and to minister. Isn't it interesting the way he says it? To minister to Yeshua. Wow, we do, we do not often think of uh, this in those terms. But that is how Yeshua uh, frames it. You're ministering to me as you serve these people. Wow. So Michael was sharing with me about a particular need they have, a particular deficit. And, and, uh, and so he, he said to me, you know, if we could get 30 people to give $33 a month, we would meet that deficit. And maybe some of us might, uh, might uh, take up the uh, challenge. Uh, of supporting Hevra at $33 a month. Uh, uh, but of course, in addition to that, but you know, or primarily we could say, today we want to be a blessing uh, to Yeshua. Wow, right? Uh, through uh, this uh, work of uh, Hevra. Now, you don't realize it, but we actually uh, participate in this organization, not so much financially, but people-wise. Marcy Cotting is their treasurer, and Elliot Clayman is on their board, right? So uh, I guess that makes it pretty kosher for us, right? Uh, and that, uh, you know, uh, and so it works out uh, very well. So uh, in the back of the room, uh, there's a couple of uh, documents here, a couple of uh, things that you could take. So you want to take one of these, right? One of these. And then another one here, Michael shares a little bit, and this must be your uh, regular uh, newsletter, have a report. Uh, and then there's an envelope uh, as well. And you'll notice the address is Worthington, Ohio. So, you know, it doesn't go too far. In fact, it's going to go right over there. Right, yeah, right, right? So uh, what I'm going to ask first is uh, that uh, we be a blessing today. Michael uh, came on Wednesday he repaired our Torah scrolls, uh, you know, and he's here today and, all, you know, all day and taking time away from his family and other things that he does. He lives in Florida uh, and came to Columbus in the winter, you know, in January, uh, which was no small task, right? Uh, no small sacrifice, right? Uh, and so uh, if you can write a check, make it out to Hevra, okay? And you want to put it in, the, in our small offering box. That's for special 
our black offering box in the rear of the sanctuary. That's for special giving, okay? So you want to put it in there or cash or whatever. Use an offering envelope. You can do that. And uh, if the Lord so moves you to want to support them monthly on your own, uh, you certainly can do so and, you know, take one of these uh, envelopes. And so why don't we just uh, take a moment and pray uh, for Chevra? Uh, I'm going to ask you a question. I should probably know the answer to this, but I, I, I am self-effacing enough that I'm going to answer. Chevra, what does Chevra mean? It's uh, basically friendship. It's like a... Oh, Chevra. Oh, oh, okay. Like Chavura. yeah. Oh, I see. Chevra. Okay. Yeah. Very good. All right. So, you know, uh, we want to be a hand of uh, fellowship and, uh, uh, and a partner uh, with our friends uh, in Eastern Europe through Chevra. Uh, Very good. Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, pray, God, for all these people uh, that Chevra uh, is serving. Lord, we pray for them. Certainly, being a Jew in the Ukraine has never been a good idea. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, not now uh, as well, as well as the past. And so, Lord, we do pray for them, for their protection and for their safety, Lord. And we do pray, Lord, that their needs would be met. And we do pray, Lord, uh, that uh, these folks would, would be safe, would be well-fed, uh, and that they would know Messiah Yeshua, uh, Lord. You know, it also... Uh, makes me think, God, of when the Messiah was uh, teaching and preaching and felt compassion on the people and uh, did not send them out to find food, uh, but took some loaves and fishes uh, and fed 5,000 people because he felt compassion on them. Uh, Lord, you've always been about compassion, uh, Lord, even, of course, in in the greatest way of sending Messiah Yeshua into this world, uh, Lord, uh, to turn the world upside down, uh, Lord, uh, to bring salvation, uh, Lord, and well-being. And God, uh, we do look forward to that, to the consummation. But in the meantime, you have called us, Lord, to serve. And uh, God, uh, we thank you, Lord, that we're both your arms and legs serving people, but you have framed it as serving, your, uh, serving you, Lord. And so, God, may we serve you in this way. We pray for Michael uh, and Michelle, his wife, Ari, their son, and, uh, down there in uh, Florida. Lord, bless them. Uh, may their needs be met, Lord, and uh, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be a part of it. We pray in Messiah's name.